So uh, what could we say about you as a person? Like if we were trying to like get a handle on what it means for you to be you, for you to be here, for you to be in a body, for you to be living a life, what, what could we say about you? Uh, like one option might be that you're a lump of inorganic material which has randomly come together for this moment in time in the space-time continuum. I'm not sure that's sufficient uh, to get it like what it means for you to be you and for you to be here right now. Uh, but that would be like an angle on that, right? Uh, we could, we could um, grab a label that's been used for you uh, based on who you are personally or a group that you are a part of or an experience that you've had or a difficulty that you've struggled with or uh, something that marks you out in some way from the average populace. We could grab a label that's been used for you and then like use that to say this is what it means for you to be you. Uh, but as a community, um, we're pretty sure that that doesn't quite cut it either. That, that that takes something which is really three-dimensional, which is a person, and makes it really uh, one-dimensional. So if you were here in January, you know that for us as a community, it's really important for us to name what the scriptures name about what it means for a person to be a person. And the first thing that the scriptures say about a person being a person is that you're a bearer of the image of God. Uh, sometimes you might hear the phrase imago Dei, which is just older words for image of God. And for us as a community, like we think that's what it means uh, as a starting point to talk about being human because that's what the scriptures say as a starting point for being human. Now in January when we talked about that, uh, it was to name a mantra that we want to shape our community. And the mantra is everyone an icon. And maybe you were here for that, maybe you remember that. That you've never looked into the eyes of another human being and seen someone who didn't uh, bear the image of God. That anytime we dismiss or disparage or disrespect one another, these aren't just acts of disrespect or disparagement. These are actually acts of desecration because when you look at a human being, you are looking at a person who is an echo of God on planet Earth. Now, it's not the only thing that's true about us, and there may be plenty about us that isn't quite like God, but there's a baseline there that we don't want to lose sight of. It's the way the scriptures start and the way that they speak to us about being here, and it's the way that we want to start and the way that we think about one another being here. Um, now, I'll say we, we preached that in January, and um, I've been preaching for 15 years-ish, and, uh, and this isn't, what I'm about to say isn't really about the sermon, but it's about the idea. Uh, I don't know that I've ever gotten so much of a certain kind of uh, reaction to a sermon I've preached in my life as that word. And to this day, even though it's months later, I'll get uh, messages on social media or text messages from people who have my phone number, um, they'll be listening to that episode in their car or sometime in their life, and um, they'll tell me they're weeping. Um, and it just dawns on me that this is one of the words that's actually right in the heart of the scriptures, but that from time to time the church has lost sight of, and we fail to speak it to one another. And so it's been just really amazing and interesting to see people respond to that word, right? Now today, um, I want to approach that idea again, but from a different angle, because as a community, that's, that's largely about like, how we approach one another. Like when I approach you, I want my baseline to be that I'm looking at a person who's a bearer of the divine image, right? But now I kind of want to go the other way with that. Like, what does, it, what does it mean to me and to you that you bear the image, that I bear the image? Like, for the person who bears the image, what is it saying to them about what it means to be human? And what does it call out of them? Uh, that's where I want to go today. Uh, because, by the way, um, we're just after Easter here. And we looked at the stories of the resurrected Christ who speaks to his friends in the locked door room of fear and says to them, like, get out of there, you still have work to do. And it's the same resurrected Christ who meets Mary in a garden, who's mistaken for a gardener, 
which seems to suggest that the original story of humanity that we find way back in Genesis 1 is still being written and God is resurrecting that image in us. So if that's the case, I want to press further into what does it mean when we say that a human being bears the image of God. So let me first go to Genesis 1. This is the first place we get that idea from. Uh, Let me just share this text with you again. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. So that's the first place uh, that we get this big idea, like bearers of the image of God. Now, what's interesting is there's another place in the Bible that has like the same package of ideas. There's a prayer in the book of Psalms that has the same sort of stuff going on. So I want to look at that with you because they seem to come from the same context. They seem to be expressing the same perspective. And there's something in common between both texts that I think will help us figure out a little more of what the scripture means when it says that we are here to bear the image of God. So this is Psalm 8. And see if you can hear uh, connections between this and Genesis 1. See if you can spot some of the overlap, because it might help us, okay? Uh, This prayer begins, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Uh, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. Now, quick note on the word angels here. It's interesting. The word that's translated angels in this text is the word Elohim, which is the exact same word that in Genesis 1 is translated God. And there's a bunch of reasons behind that, and some translators go different ways with that. But the point being, whether it's angels or God, there's a divine sort of proximity here, right? Uh, We keep going. Uh, Next slide. Uh, You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. All right, so there's some, some overlap there. Did you hear it? Like, first of all, both passages talk about the creative work of God. Genesis 1 is all about God creating the world, and this is a passage celebrating the creative work of God. So you've got that. In both passages, you've got some kind of reference to humanity being Uh, proximate to God, like a little lower than the angels or a little lower than God, which is to say pretty close to God, a little bit like God, like a kind of divine resemblance. So you've got that. Both like have this kind of poetic statement about the fish in the sea and the birds in the air and all that kind of stuff, right? But there's one other thing in common between both passages, and it's really important for the big idea about what it means to bear the image of God. There's a word that shows up in both passages, and I wonder if you heard it. The word is Rule or ruler shows up in both. Hey, humanity, you're you're a little bit like God. You are here to be a little bit like God, and you're here to rule. And so God set us up as rulers. The Hebrew word is radah. Let's try saying that on three. One, two, three. Radah. Yeah, on Sunday with a big crowd, it sounded a little bit like we were speaking Klingon. Or um, does anybody remember the episode from The Office where Dwight teaches Aaron how to speak Dothraki? 
which I think is the language from Game of Thrones or something like that. Rada, right? Like it's got some mojo to it. Yeah, rule or reign. Like you have a bit of a dominion. You have your hands on this world in a way that you have a little bit of uh, sort of kingdom in the world, right? Now hold on to this because the next time that you are out there manicuring the crap out of your backyard, I mean, you've got the lawnmower and the weed whacker and the edger and the tweezers and like the guy that keeps the grounds at Augusta is weeping over the beauty of what you've done in your backyard or the next time that you're setting the most perfect dinner table the world has ever seen, every little detail, you went to Pier 1 Imports, you went to Hobby Lobby, you got stuff at your table that the rest of us didn't know belonged on the kitchen table, right? But Pinterest is weeping over the beauty of what you've done and your spouse, your partner, your friend, whatever, they're giving you a hard time about it. You just say to them, I am man, hear me rada, right? <laughs> I am woman, hear me rada. Like I have a little dominion here and I will ensure that everything here is as I want it to be, right? This is actually what's in common between these passages, and it gives us a little insight into what the text is saying about bearing the image of God. You have some kind of dominion. There is some space in the world, some space in your existence, where you can act on things, right? Uh, it may not be a big part of the world, but there's some part of the world where what you want is essentially what happens, right? Now, again, for some of us, it's a bigger space sphere than others, and we could spend a long time talking about uh, what happens when that sphere sort of gets taken away, but everybody has at least some of that, and this assumes that everybody has some power. Everybody has some power, and if we're going to talk about the image, we have to talk about power. You may not feel like a powerful person. You may have been told you're not a powerful person. Your power may look different, may be expressed differently from other people, but everybody has some power. I mean, to begin with, like everybody in the room right now is in a body, I think, right? And a body is a vehicle of some power, right? And you can literally act on the world. You can push on the world. You can dig in the dirt. You have some power with your body. Now, different bodies have different kinds of power or perhaps different quantities of physical power, but everybody has some power. On Sunday, there were Notre Dame football players in the front row over here, and as I was preaching, I was thinking, their bodies have more and different power than my body, right? Like, my body has the power to, to hurt me when I try to work out, and their body has the power to hurt other people, right? But, like, bodies have some power, right? You can act on the world. What about this one? Speech. What you say has some power. I'm sure every parent in the room can think of at least one story where perhaps because a minute earlier it seemed as if their words had no power. <laughs> they discovered that their words, in fact, had a, either beautiful or terrifying power with their children. Right? Words have some power. We all have the power of speech, whether like through our mouth or through uh, that social media post that you know is going to set the record straight and solve all of the problems, right? Words have some kind of power. If you have any money at all, any money at all, that, that's a vehicle of some power, right? Some people have a lot more money than others. Um, some people have a hard time making ends meet. But point being, like you have this bank account, you have this, this technology that lets you transmit these uh, units of value that we've created as a society, and you can use that to buy a meal or pay a bill or be generous toward another person. There's some kind of power there. Everybody has some kind of power. And we have, to, we have to be serious about that. We have to talk about that, especially if, if it hasn't dawned on you that you have some kind of power. Because realizing that you have power raises a question like, what should I do with my power? 
What's the responsibility on me with the power that I have in the world today, right? Uh, there's another place in the scripture where rule, where radah shows up. And it underscores the fact that you better think about what you do with your power. So this is from Ezekiel 34. This is one of the Hebrew prophets. And here, uh, the shepherds of Israel that the prophet is speaking to are the powerful people in Israel. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel says. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with the wool, and you slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. And here's the radah, right? You have ruled them harshly and brutally. Which, like, raises another question. Not just what do you do with your power, but, like, who is flourishing or not flourishing because of the power that you have? Or the power that I have. If this is um, describing a power dynamic where some people have some power and some people aren't flourishing, it raises a question about who's flourishing because I have power or you have power. Now, first of all, this is actually cause for celebration because I bet if we combed through every story in the room, we would discover moments in your life where somebody has flourished because you had some power. It was the power of influence. It was the power of a relationship. It was the power of you having a friend who would listen to you when you spoke. It was the power of being a parent or being an employee or being a boss. It was the power of being a teacher. It was the power of being a neighbor. You had some kind of power, and I bet if we comb through your story, we would find some compelling moments where the fact that you had power meant somebody else got to flourish a little bit, and that's beautiful. In fact, I would say that's, that's part of why I believe it's good to be human. What an incredible thing that we get to make choices with our power, with our influence, with our bodies, with our speech, with our money, with, our, with everything that we have that gives us some power. We get to make choices that could actually help other people flourish. That's beautiful. But we could also ask what happens when somebody doesn't flourish because we had power. So we should get real straight on this, right? Um, and to get there, I want to bring one more word into the equation. So uh, as I do this now, every sermon I've ever preached uh, is on the shoulders of other people, right? Like I would like to learn from other people and uh, there's kind of nothing new under the sun. In this case, I, I should just name the fact that these ideas come so especially from one thinker. So credit where credit's due. His name is Andy Crouch. And he's written a number of fantastic books, uh, one in particular called Playing God. And I totally recommend it if you want to do a deeper dive on this. But as we talk about power uh, and we want to get straight on it, there's another word we need to introduce. So let me go back to Ezekiel. Let me go to the end of that passage there. I wonder if you notice this little list that we have. Uh, these people with power, uh, the prophet says, you eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with the wool, and you slaughter the choice animals. If you're going to talk about power, we also have to talk about perks. Power and perks. Now, when I say perks, what I mean is some benefit that accrues to you because of some exercise of power. Let me say that again. Perk, in this situation, the way I'm using it here, is some benefit that accrues to you because of some exercise of power. Now, observe, perks are not bad necessarily, right? Perks can be good 
In fact, some perks are like really, really important and helpful. So here's an example. If you have a job, that's an exercise of power. You may not feel very powerful, but the fact that you're able to have a job, you bring your brain to the job or your body to the job, you bring your experiences to the job, you bring your education to the job. If you have a job, you show up for work every day, and hopefully after a week or two, what happens? You get a paycheck, yeah, right? You get paid, right? That's a perk. That's a benefit that accrues to you because you exercise some power. That's not a bad thing. If perks don't come to you for some exercise of power, we're all going to be hungry and homeless, and that's not actually flourishing for everybody, right? So perks accruing to you for an exercise of power are not necessarily a bad thing, but observe some other stuff. So I said a perk accrues to you from an exercise of power, but it doesn't have to be your power. Like, uh, I'm a person who uh, is really grateful because my parents were willing and able to help me pay for college. So my parents worked, and that was an exercise of their power, and then that accrued a benefit to them in the terms of income, which they then used to help me get a college education, right? So that's a perk that I got because of my parents' exercise of power. Now watch this. Hypothetically, theoretically, that might mean that there could have been people in the past decades or centuries exercising power over another group of people in a way that in the year 2018 accrues benefits or perks to me that don't accrue to other people who are part of the group of people historically who had the power used against them, just totally hypothetically, right? Tracking with me? Power and perks. I'm not saying perks are bad, but we have to think really carefully about power and perks. So a few observations about power and perks. For all of us who want to take seriously that first divine word that was spoken over humanity that said, you are here to bear the image of God in the world. First observation, uh, not, uh, that power and perks are not the same thing. Now, they might overlap, and some perks might create some power, but power and perks are not the same thing. To make my case, let me tell you the story of a young man named Bobby Hall. So Bobby Hall is born in 1990. Uh, Bobby's father is absentee, which is mostly a good thing, because when Bobby's father is around, uh, it's just to get more cocaine. Bobby tells a story about being a very young kid, and one night his father's showing up to get more cocaine, and uh, dragging Bobby into the car with him, and then going uh, into a really bad part of town where Bobby spent most of the night in the car by himself as his father was inside getting high. Mom was there. Bobby lived with mom in Section 8 housing, where mom was an abusive alcoholic, where mom, uh, during one season of their life, beat him on a daily basis as just a regular rule in the house, because she had read somewhere that you're supposed to discipline your kid every day, and she thought that's what it meant. Uh, Bobby uh, describes that he's the son of a black father and a white mother, which means he's not black enough for the black kids and not white enough for the white kids, which means he has nowhere to belong. He doesn't graduate high school because he's kicked out and doesn't get a diploma or a GED. Bobby is a kid without many perks, right? Uh, the reason I know about Bobby is because Netflix just released a really compelling documentary on Bobby's life. The thing about the documentary, though, is Netflix didn't release it because of the lack of perks in Bobby's life. They decided to do a documentary on Bobby because of the incredible power that he has exercised in this world. And I watched his documentary just a few days ago, and I thought to myself, this is a story of a man who didn't have any perks, but he still knew how to tap into the power that he had as a bearer of the image of God, as a creator in the world. And, and you might know Bobby, not as the name Bobby Hall, but uh, as the name that's used in the documentary, which is uh, the rapper, hip-hop artist, Logic. Anybody know the artist, Logic? Yeah, maybe you know the song. Anybody know this one? 
couple of you listen to the radio. So, uh, so Bobby's been Grammy nominated now. He's become one of the most important up-and-coming hip-hop hip rap artists on the scene right now. This song is actually called 1-800 and then the rest of a phone number that I can't remember right now. But the, the name of the song is actually the 800 number for the National Suicide Prevention Line. Uh, this song sort of swept the world, except for apparently Sopping City Church, uh, when it came out. <laughs> uh, performed it uh, uh, on a lot of TV. And it's interesting because uh, in the first sort of verse and chorus, um, he's expressing the own experiences he has had with suicidal tendencies or feelings. And then the song sort of takes a turn and speaks into that experience uh, from the perspective of other voices that would say, like, we really want you to be here. And again, the name of the song is the 800 number for the National Suicide Prevention Line. And the National Suicide Prevention Line reports that in the weeks after the song came out, phone calls into their center increased 30-some percent. This is an incredible and beautiful act of image bearing. This is a man who found some power for creativity and used it in a beautiful way. And he's introducing a dialogue about mental health and addiction into the rap and hip hop scene, a place that doesn't have a lot of nuanced language around those experiences yet, right? I heard this story and I just thought to myself, this is a man who um, didn't confuse perks with power. He didn't need perks to find himself powerful in the world and to create something that really mattered so that other people could flourish. Don't confuse perks for power. You may be powerful in a way that you don't know because all you can see is the lack of perks that you feel. Or you might underestimate somebody else because they might not have a lot of perks, but don't miss their power. Uh, another uh, word about perks and power, the perks may threaten your power. The perks may actually threaten your power. They may threaten your power for creativity. They may threaten your power for healing. They may threaten the power of like what you're here to give the world, the good gift that you are here to give the world for what it means to be you here, right? Uh, I think about a, a friend of mine who, was, um, who had come to me as a pastor uh, a while ago. And uh, at the time that we sort of connected and were talking a lot, uh, his wife was leaving him. And uh, this friend um, had a history uh, of mental health issues, not unlike my own, like depression, anxiety, that kind of stuff, which I've experienced too. And we were talking through that, and it was really, really bad. He's a physician. She was suing for half the practice and everything else, even if she flaunted a sort of serial adultery right in his face. And, um, and then there was a day when his office staff called me to let me know that he had tried to take his life in the basement of his practice. And so we kept talking and went to the hospital and spent some time with him. And then as he came out, we had lunch one day, and I remember trying to understand um, particularly what he was afraid of in this season, what was, what was threatening him. And he talked a lot about, um, right, right now the house is really empty. Uh, they had just become empty nesters as the kids had uh, grown up and moved out. And then they were gonna lose the house in the divorce and then he was gonna be moving into an apartment. And just the thought of going home to an empty apartment just killed him. And the thing I knew about this guy was I, I knew some of his friends uh, who were part of the same church. And I knew that among his friends were a number of other divorcee guys in their 50s. And I knew that some of these guys literally were going home to like five bedroom homes that were empty except for like one dude living there. And I said to him, I said, why don't you see if you could like, you know, be a housemate with one of these other guys. And I named the guys. I'm like, there's plenty of housing to go around for these guys that have these five bedroom homes. Like, wouldn't that be more fun? 
And he, I, I'll never forget this. Um, he shook his head at our lunch and he said, Jason, I'm a doctor. I was like, and? <laughs> and I don't mean to make light of um, him. I, I suppose we all have moments in our life that are similar, but <laughs> he said, you know, I have some pride. And I thought, oh, dude, the perks are going to kill your power if you hold on to that. And you might have had a moment in your life where the power was in some healing that you needed, um, but the perks had a grip on you. I know I've been there, and we better watch out for that. Uh, the, the perks uh, cannot just threaten your power, but the perks might lead you to abuse your power. That's another observation here, right? And this is an easy one, right? I mean, we don't have to go along. Like, think of the left and the right. I don't care your persuasion on politics. We have plenty, plenty of examples, past and present, where the perks would cause someone to abuse their power, whatever the power is, whether it's political or business or in a neighborhood, right? The perks could cause you to abuse your power. Uh, and then there's this. Jesus seems to know that, um, that the greatest power you have to, to do something in the world, it might be waiting for you. It might be waiting for you in a moment where you relinquish your perks. Now, again, I'm not saying all perks are bad. In fact, a lot of perks help us give the gift to the world that we are here to give, right? But Jesus seems to also know that it might be that the moment of greatest power in your life where you actually create something that is a gift to the world, right? That that moment of greatest power might be waiting for you where you relinquish the perks. I think of all these uh, peculiar moments in Jesus' life where he does powerful things. You know, he's teaching people, he's healing people, and often he seems sort of socially dysfunctional afterwards. Have you noticed that? Like, for example, it's okay to say that. Have you, for example, um, Jesus will feed thousands of people in this, this powerful thing, right? He, he'll feed thousands of people. It's a, it's a gift to them for the sake of their flourishing because they're hungry and they need a meal, so he will feed them. That's a good exercise of power. And the next thing that will happen is Jesus will run away. Like he'll literally run away. But between the act of power and the running away, there's a moment where the crowd wants to make him their king. They want to throw him on their shoulders. They want to give him a bunch of perks. And there's something inside Jesus that seems to know that from time to time when there's power and there's perks, there's a fork in the road. And you can't get both. You've got to pick one or the other. And here I'm not talking about like power over. I'm not talking about structural power. I'm talking about the power of your life. I'm talking about the power of the gift that you are here to give the world. And he seems to know that there are moments in life where you get to pick one or the other, but you don't get both. And so again and again, Jesus will exercise his power in the world for the good of the world. And then he will run away from the perks because he seems to know that they will threaten the gift that he's here to give. This shows up not just in the, in the life of Jesus, um, but especially in, in the theological reflection of the church as, as they seem to begin to understand the depth of what God had done in Jesus. So for example, a guy named Paul writes a letter uh, to a church in a city called Philippi. And he's describing Jesus, and I think you'll hear in this text, power and perks. You might not have thought of it that way, but it's, it's totally here. This is Paul in Philippians 2. And he says, in your relationships with one another, church, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus like learning from Jesus on this, right? Who being in very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this is sort of a cosmic picture of Christ relinquishing his perks for the sake of doing something powerful for the good of the world. Right? And I, I'm not saying that the perks are bad, and I'm not saying you have to always give them up, because sometimes perks help us exercise our power for the good of others, right? But there will probably be some moments as we are following Jesus together where we'll discover the same fork in the road that he found. And in those moments, I hope, I pray that we are learning to choose the power over the perks, because we, we need the gift that you are here to give the world. And frankly, I think you will be happier and more alive in the long run if you give yourself more and more to the gift that you are here to give the world. Um, so I'm a pastor. I don't know if you guys knew that. That joke didn't do very well on Sunday. I'm a pastor. Um, some people still aren't sure. I know. Uh, are you? Um, it's fine. Uh, so I'm a pastor. And I, for the record, I love my work. Um, but as I chose this work and followed a sense of calling into this work, I knew going into it, there are certain perks that don't usually accrue to pastors. Certain kinds of perks, right? Unless you're like on TV and need a private jet, I guess. Like, but there's maybe a certain standard of living or whatever, and that was fine. And by the way, like I'm really grateful that our church takes care of our staff, and that's all awesome. Um, but there's been two moments in, in, in my uh, sort of career, if you will, in my work, in my life as a pastor, where I found myself at an unexpected fork in the road between the power of doing what I'm supposed to be doing and the perks. And I did not realize that this line of work would present me with this particular choice and those kinds of perks. Um, and one of them wasn't too long ago. And I, I literally just felt this tug of war going on inside because this invitation was here and it brought with it way, 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 way more perks than I thought would be a part of this line of work for me. And it wasn't like I was going to go out and kill puppies. That wasn't the job, right? Like, <laughs> you could look at that, this, this, this option, this thing presented, and it was still good work. But some part of me, I think, knew right away, and then the rest of me had to catch up with the fact that this wasn't the power of what I was actually explicitly, specifically here to do. And I remember, like, fighting with this. I remember um, doing pros and con lists, you know? I remember uh, reaching out to mentors. I remember some late-night phone calls with some friends. I remember staring at the ceiling of my bedroom, thinking, am I a freaking idiot? Because who, who says no to those perks, right? Like, that's just dumb. But I'm so grateful um, that between some good counsel from other people and sitting with it long enough, at least in that moment, by God's grace, I think, I think I found my way to say no to the perks and 
stay closer to the power of what I'm supposed to be on planet Earth to do for the few years that I have to be here. And I don't share that um, for any reason except to say this is not theoretical for me, okay? And it's not theoretical for you, I know that. This is real. Um, you are here to bear the image of God to the world, and it'll look particular in your life. It'll be your gifts, your wounds, your hopes, your talents, your relationships, where you are located geographically in the world. All of that will be part of the equation of the gift that you are here to give the world. Because you're here to act on this world that we have together, right? You're here to make something of it with us. You're here to turn a graveyard into a garden, the way that happened when the resurrected Christ met Mary and spoke her name, and she realized the story wasn't over yet. We're all here for that kind of work. And if the image will be resurrected in us, I think, I think, I think we're going to have to um, be really wise about the power and the perks. And when it's required, choose the power. Uh, life's way better and richer and probably a lot harder, but far more beautiful when we do. And the world's um, begging for people to get clear on this. Like we read last week on Easter, creation is groaning, aching to see the sons and daughters of God bear the image of God in the world. And to do it, uh, we'll have to look for our power and be brave about saying no to the perks. Um, if you're able, will you stand to your feet? And I just want to offer a prayer for us before we go. Uh, before I do that, a quick turn toward uh, pragmatics. Uh, on Saturday, we have an event in this space. So if you're able and if you'd like to, we're going to stack some chairs after the gathering. This section of chairs is going to stay right here. And then all the other three sections are just going to go on some racks. No pressure, but if you want to help us stack it up, it'll be a quick job. Um, and then uh, a prayer. Uh, if prayer is not a word that works for you, that's great. If God's not a word that works for you, that's okay. This is still a moment for you too. Uh, if you want to just reflect for a moment, if you want to just sort of breathe deeply for a moment, that's great. If you want to open yourself up to an idea right now, that's great. Uh, but I'd like to offer a prayer uh, for our community before we go. So if you want to, uh, bow your head with me. God, you spoke a divine word over humanity. You spoke it over us when you said that we are here to bear your divine image to the world. And though we have complicated that truth with other things, though there are other things that are true of us too, I pray that you would help us hear that word being spoken over our lives again today. I pray that anyone in this room that has underestimated themselves, I pray that anyone in this room who has thought less of themselves than that, who's been told that they are less than that, I pray that that would somehow be shaken off today. I pray that you'd speak by your spirit and our spirits that you would settle this deep within us, that we are nothing less than bearers of the divine image for the world. And if we have seen uh, what has happened in the world when human beings use their power not for good, if we've been traumatized by the evil that we see and the brokenness that happens, I pray that we would also be enlivened and made hopeful by the resurrected Christ who has not given up on image bearers in the world.
I pray that we'd meet you in a garden again, that you'd make us gardeners, and that you'd send us out to use our power for good. So God, we repent of hanging in our heads, of thinking too little of ourselves and our neighbors. I also um, pray that you'd lead us into a, a repentance over what we've done with our power. Because every, every uh, story has at least a moment or two, or perhaps a whole pattern in our lives where we have either not known that we have that power and so we, we failed to use it for good, we abdicated the little throne that you've made for us in the world, and because we abdicated, we left a vacuum there, we left an untended garden there and weeds grew up. And to repent is not to shame ourselves or to beat our own brows, but it is to say we are sorry because we've seen what happens when we don't take our power seriously. And then there are other times where we haven't abdicated, but where we have grabbed that power for the perks, where we've used it for ourselves, where we've not understood that it's here to give a good gift to the world, and I pray that we would repent of that. Again, not to shame ourselves or beat our brows, but simply to turn around and to humbly ask you to teach us, Jesus, how to use our power for good. God, if there are any moments when the perks that have perhaps been helpful um, need to be laid aside. I pray that you'd make us brave for that and that you'd inspire us with the example of Jesus and that you'd fill us up with the spirit of Jesus, that we would be like him in our minds, not grasping to the glory of our perks, but instead laying our lives down for the power that you've called us to to give something good to the world. So we thank you for this divine word over our lives. We thank you that you haven't given up on us, but that you keep inviting us to resurrection. And we look forward to the beautiful things that you will make with us as we collaborate with you and the flourishing of the world. We pray through Christ. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Love you guys. See you next week. Oh, we should do that. Uh, let's say these words to each other. Grace and peace be with you. Amen. Love you guys.